Hi folks, this is uh, Ranger Gord from the slightly near future, realizing that I'm an idiot. Um, just before I get to my introduction, you're going to realize that it sounds like I'm from the inside of a barrel. What it actually means is that I put a barrel on over myself and didn't realize that my microphone was not registered. And though I was speaking into it, it was being, my voice was being picked up by the computer. And it doesn't sound terrible. It doesn't sound as good as it should be with the microphone, but it's late and I'm going to go with it. So for these uh, opening uh, notes and the closing comments, uh, things are gonna sound a little bit different, but uh, the rest of the, uh, the podcast, as far as the uh, drama is concerned, should sound okay. Sorry about that, folks, and sorry to have to make you crank up your uh, pod device. You're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders vigilante podcast. Prairie Justice presents... The Seven Soldiers of Victory. Well, howdy and welcome back to Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante podcast, and in particular, our current running mini-series covering Leading Comics number three from summer of 1942, of which uh, features the Seven Soldiers of Victory, of which the Vigilante is a member, of course. And But like all of... Uh, our coverage here, we do all. We get a full meal deal here. So you're getting the Shiny Knight, Star Spangled Kid, and Stripesy, and Crimson Avenger, as well as Vigilante. And in this particular episode, we're going to cover an adventure where Green Arrow and Speedy meet Alexander the Great. And that's probably going to have to do for our title, because for some reason... Even though these subchapters seem to all have their own titles, um, somebody goofed. And that's not hard to realize. I mean, it's a busy time. We're in during the war, uh, National Comics and All-American across the hall. They're busy whacking out a lot of uh, books uh, for, for kids and troops and all the people of all ages to read. So, Green Arrow, normally from uh, the more fun comics stable, is here in leading comics as part of his team, the Seven Soldiers. And um, a certain group called the Time Tyrants, led by a very sinister man, very sinister sounding as well, as you'll hear in the end of this chapter, Dr. Doomy. And yes, it's a familiar name and a familiar voice. Now, why is Alexander the Great plundering around the Everglades of Florida, of all places? 
waiting to encounter Green Arrow and Speedy while he's looking for radium. So, as we have uh, been doing or have been uh, acclaimed to do, let's hear all about what is radium. And, of course, once again, we are leading that, uh, that well-researched source, Wikipedia. Don't laugh, guys. I'm a historian. I use Wikipedia. I wouldn't put it in my bibliography, but it's a nice starting point sometimes. So we're just uh, here for some basic facts. Uh, radium is a chemical element, the symbol RA, atomic number 88. The sixth element in group two of the periodic table and is known as one of the alkaline earth metals. It's a silvery white uh, in color and readily reacts with nitrogen rather than oxygen on exposure to air. And it forms a, a black surface layer of radium nitride. All isotopes of radium, by the way, are highly radioactive. So that's probably why Mr. Uh, Doomy wants it. Uh, as he's building his time machine that he hopes to will fling him into the future. The most stable isotope is radium-226. It's got a half-life of 1,600 years. And it hasn't been uh, known about that long. You probably know of the, of the French husband and wife team of scientists called Paris, Paris, Pierre Marie Curie, uh, who dis, uh, discovered radium chloride in 1898 uh, from a mine in Jekamoff, in the Czech Republic. They extracted the radium compound from uranianite and published their discovery in the French Academy of Sciences. Radium in its isolated metallic state uh, is credited to Marie Curie and André-Louis de Bernier through the electrolysis of, of radium chloride in 1911. So you could say Curie's curated the radium. In nature, you find radium in uranium and, uh, to lesser extent, thorium. Uh, radium is not necessary for living organisms, and it's not good for you either. Adverse health effects are likely incorporated into biochemical processes because of radioactivity and chemical reactivity. It has uses in nuclear medicine, uh, but has no commercial applications and it's used as a radioactive source for radioluminescent devices. And uh, in the days of uh, quackery, medical quackery, that certainly wouldn't happen today, it supposedly have curative powers, but it does not, folks. Wouldn't lie to you, this is a credible comic book podcast. Now our historical tyrant of time who will be seeking out radium down in Florida Will is Alexander III of Macedon or Macedonia, also known in Greek as Alexandros. Born July 356 BC, get those calculators to figure it out for folks, and died around June 323. So, not very long lived this young man, but commonly known as Alexander the Great, king of the ancient kingdom of Macedon. He succeeded his father, Philip II, also known as Philip the Pretty Good. Now, that's not true. I'm making that up. He succeeded Philip II to the throne in 336 BC at the age of 20 
and spent most of his ruling years conducting a lengthy military campaign throughout Western Asia and Northeastern Africa, which was kind of sort of the known world um, to at that time, at least to the Greeks and the Macedonians. By 30 years old, he had created one of the largest empires in history, stretching from Greece to northwestern India. Undefeated in battle and widely considered one of the history's greatest and most successful military commanders. Hear that, Napoleon? Go suck it. Now, Alexander in his youth was tutored by no less than Aristotle. Until the age of 16, when his father is assassinated, at the wedding of Cleopatra of Macedon. That's a different Cleopatra, not our uh, Cleopatra of Egypt, who was uh, Alexander's sister, and he assumed, therefore, the throne of the kingdom of Macedon. In 335 BC, he campaigned in the Balkans and reasserted control over the Thrace and Illyria before sacking the Greek city of Thebes. He was awarded the generalship of Greece and used that authority to launch his father's Pan-Hellenic project, assuming leadership over all of the Greeks in their conquest of Persia. So that takes him into modern-day Iran in 334 BC, part of the Achaemenid Empire, also known as the Persian Empire, began a series of campaigns lasting 10 years. Following his conquest of Asia Minor, which we call now Turkey, and probably Iraq as well. Alexander broke the power of Persia, including those at Isis and Guagamela. He subsequently overthrew King Darius III and conquered the Achaemenid Empire in its entirety. And at that point, he stretched from the Adriatic to the Indus River. He endeavored to reach the ends of the world in the Great Outer Sea when he invaded India in 326 BC, achieving an important victory over King Horus at the Battle of Hydaspes. He eventually turned back at the Bayes River due to the command of homesick troops. Oh, poor guys. Dying in 323 BC in Babylon, the city where he planned to establish his capital. He did not manage to execute the campaigns that would have began with an invasion of Arabia. And in the years following his death, a series of civil wars tore his empire apart. Though it's nice to know nothing has changed. Alexander's legacy includes the culture diffusion and synecretism, which his conquests engendered, Greco-Buddhism and Hellenistic Judaism. He founded more than 20 cities bearing his name, and of course we most notably know of Alexandria in Egypt. Uh, his settlement of Greek colonists res uh, resulted in the spread of Greek culture and Hellenistic civilization throughout the Roman Empire and into Western culture. So for good or bad, uh, the legacy of Alexander the Great is in our civilization, whether we ha still have a civilization or not. Uh, the Greek language became the uh, predominant in the region in the Byzantine Empire until its end, right up until the mid-15th century. Uh, Alexander is legendary as a classical hero in the mold of Achilles, and is featured prominently in history and mythic traditions of both Greek and non-Greek cultures, and his military achievements and enduring unprecedented success in battle 
made him the measure against which many military leaders would compare themselves. Military academies throughout the world still teach his tactics. And maybe I should do some studying and see how he stacks up to Napoleon. I think they would only be a bone apart. All puns are intended on Prairie Justice. Now, I don't intend to know what church uh, Alexander the Great would have gone to, probably the Church of Alexander the Great, but he certainly would not have been worshipping Jupiter. Uh, that was a Roman thing. I believe we've covered that in episode one. Uh, so when he talks about uh, Jupiter in this 1942 story, I am just sort of uh, quietly changing that to Zeus who is the uh, actual antecedent of Jupiter in Bullfinch's mythology. And in seeking radium in Florida, we're going to find that Alexander becomes an affinity and uh, a bit of a connoisseur of robots. Robots in 1942 were the stuff of science fiction, although there had been... Uh, Mechanical robots exhibited at the 1939-1940 World's Fair in New York, specifically the robot Electro, who could be seen smoking a cigarette. Well, that's always a good thing. He was part of the Westinghouse exhibit in the uh, that World's Fair. And I only bring uh, Electro up at this point in time because I have actually seen a version of him in a... Uh, I believe it's the Heinz Museum in Pittsburgh. I didn't see him smoking. I believe he's quit. But uh, Electro will become uh, Gernsback, who will be a retroactive content continuity character in All-Star Squadron. And so when uh, we get to that point in our uh, retroactive continuity here, uh, here on Prairie Justice, uh, We'll be seeing uh, Electro, and we'll talk a little bit more about him then. But for now, put away your winter underwear and put on your Baja shirts. It's time to head to Florida, into the Everglades, as Green Arrow and Speedy meet Alexander the Great. Chapter 2. The Green Arrow and Speedy. Radium. The rarest metal under the sun, a prize worth a king's ransom, and it is a monarch indeed, the mightiest who ever lived, Alexander the Great, who dares forth to capture this modern treasure, armed with ancient weapons and prepared to use other ones more powerful than the world has yet seen. But those wonder archers of all time, the Green Arrow and his Daredevil pal Speedy are on hand to pit their uncanny skill against antique and ultra-modern weapons alike, and the second of Dr. Doomy's time tyrants encounters unexpected troubles before the adventure is ended. Return to the secret workshop of Dr. Leo Starr, brilliant inventor whose lab is hidden in the swamp's deep in the Florida Everglades. At last, I have created the perfect robots. Now war 
Hold no terrors for America. Her future armies shall be made of radium, powered steel men, tireless and unconquerable. But Star's control button fails to control one robot, in whose electrical brain something has happened that not even its maker understands. Amazing as it seems, this one robot has developed a definitely prankish personality and can actually talk. He fought down and go playing. Oscar is at his tricks again. Sometimes it frightens me to think I have created a machine so nearly human in that he will actually bully other robots. Weird goings on indeed. But other weird things are happening in the mysterious wastes of the reptile-infested glades. Where a deadly plot is afoot this day. A sharp whirr and a creaking thud puncture the outer stillness as a huge catapult of the ancients hurls its missile from a cypress swamp. Strike me pink, somebody conk the boss. A youthful assassin enters. Dead. As always, the aim of Alexander is true. Now these strange men of metal are mine. You're the new boss, eh? Call me master. I have learned to operate you and your iron fellows by spying on your creator. Bring me the radium that is concealed within this place. Here it is, boss. Ha ha. Oh, oh. You arrogant fool! For that you shall... But after all, you are but a stupid automaton, knowing not what to do. I am Alexander the Great, only a little less mighty than the gods of Mount Olympus. And you must respect me. Do you understand? I dig you, chum. I dig you. And now the scene shifts to the Tamiami Trail, where a bullet car flashes toward adventure. The aeroplane, the fastest thing on wheels. It won't be long now. Keep your eyes peeled for a corduroy road leading into the swamp. We ought to be getting close to Star's place. Suddenly... They're after us. Let me go, you big hunk of tin. I heard Star had made some. Guess we better stop. I'm sitting tight, all right. Take it easy, Speedy. I wasn't looking for anything like this, but we'd break our knuckles trying to fight them. And so the wizard archers begin war on Dr. Doomy as prisoners. Apparently we're safe as long as we sit tight. Uh-oh. Alexander got a head start on us. Bring your chariot within, captives, while I debate how best to kill you. Get out as soon as you can, Speedy. I've got an idea. Oh, boy. I'm going to try the catapult, Speedy. These are madmen. They have no catapult. There are catapults and catapults, Alex. For that idiot, you shall die. Time for me to do something. Swinging on an arrow line, Speedy becomes a human cannonball. Here's a sample of what happens to killers. They get electrocuted. Zeus, Zeus, save me! 
No use letting him sizzle. The shot gotta keep him quiet for a while. He's out cold. Look, GA. I can operate the robots. Bet I can make them do anything I want. Be careful and keep an eye on our pal. The release of radium power brings the unpredictable Oscar waddling from a corner. What have we got another boss? Shake, stranger. A talking robot. No thanks, that hand may be a steel trap. Too smart for me, Oscar the Great, eh? Follow me and I'll show you something really funny. I'll humor him. Okay, Oscar. There isn't it a funny mug. Ho, ho, ho. Practical joker, are you? You're probably the only robot ever made with a sense of humor. You're telling me not even my first boss could dope me out. He thought something went wrong with my wiring, but he couldn't tell what. I think I'm going to like you if you don't play too rough. Meanwhile, Speedy is having the time of his life. That's right, Iron Pants. Bow down to Mr. Brasstop. So engrossed is the lad, he does not notice that Alexander has emerged from his electrical blackout. Soon shall these rash creatures rue the day they were born. Imagine a kid having tin soldiers like these to play with. A moment later... I would behead thee, child, but that would be too merciful. And as the Macedonian conqueror once more assumes control of the robots. What's this? Speedy's hurt, and the robots are after me. They're dumb bunnies. Watch me fool them. He's a pal, but my arrows aren't going to do me much good right now. They haven't even got enough sense to get out of the way. Another arrow line sweeps the wizard archers through the air. Look out, boss. Alonzo is reaching for you. Ouch, this is hard on the feet. But with three-fourths of his foe vanquished, he is yet defeated. Not much use fighting against this baby. Guess Alex wins around. Tough luck. Now you aren't the boss any longer, so I'll toddle along and see what I can do for Big Shot Alex. The plight of the Crime Crushers seems hopeless. What happened to my head? Alex knocked you out, and the robots got me. I have devised a fitting death for you. You shall be torn to pieces by the Metal Men. Then I shall rejoin Doctor Doom with them. And the Radium and the world with its riches shall be ours. Plenty of fun, a box, Alex. This is all my fault for not watching him. Don't blame yourself, kid. I should have been on my toes and I wasn't. Hold it a minute, boss. What now, clown? I just wanted to see if you take orders from me for a change. Ha, ha, ha. I shall silence you forever. Alexander's childish rage proves his own undoing. No sense of humor, what a pity. I, I, I struck without thinking. I forgot that these controls have a different effect upon you than the others. Maybe it would be fun if I cut these ropes. No, Oscar. No. Yes, Oscar, yes. Now we'll play some jokes on Alex, eh, Oscar? I must cause the robots to destroy them all, including the clown, Oscar. 
The arrows of the battling bowmen are frail, but a barrage of them halts one mechanical enemy. One of the arrows short-circuited something inside that fellow. But it took plenty of shots, and we're out of time. No flames or smoke, but things are getting pretty hot. This is a surer way of short-circuiting electrical apparatus. That supplied the smoke, now I'll supply the flame. Fire and water defeat the mechanical monsters. We could get rid of the hundred of them this way. They'd never be any good for war unless they were waterproofed and fireproofed. Unwilling to be captured, the proud Alexander rages into the desolate swamp. I must hide and formulate a new strategy, else I shall fail utterly to seize the radium. Hey, Sourpuss is giving us the brush off. But the fugitive finds the Everglades less friendly than he had hoped. That makes a buzzing sound. If it be poisonous, I am a dead man. Abruptly, Zeus must have sent that arrow. It is proof that I am held in favor by the gods of victory. A moment later, a giant alligator attacks. By the Sahara, can it be? But then an arrow plunges into the neck of the attacking beast from out of nowhere. Another good omen. Wait, Alexander. You don't want to get lost, do you? Another robot with speech. He seems friendly enough. And even an unfriendly robot would be preferable to these swamp monsters. I thought you had all been destroyed. Take me back to the workshop. Perhaps I can yet win the radium. That's exactly where we're headed for. The control buttons. I shall be master again. Where have all the archers gone? Not far. Then, astoundingly, the robot removes its head to reveal the face of Green Arrow. Not far. As a matter of fact, they're right here. Wow, what a joke. Then they were your arrows that saved me, not those of Zeus. And in the end, I have lost. The noble Alexander shall never be captured. With this device, I can return to my own time, where men still quake at the mention of my name. Again, Dr. Doomy's scientific magic saves a man from prison. He disappeared. He's gone back 22 centuries, where he belongs, and history says he'll die at 31 from too much wine. That's the best joke of all. Well, we saved the radium and spoiled another of Dr. Doomy's schemes. Suppose we go home now. But what about me? You're not going to leave me here to rust. I've got it. Why not let Oscar be our chauffeur? Not while I'm conscious. His idea of a good joke would be to drive into the ocean. Gosh, can't I have any fun. And as Dr. Doomy in his remote tower tunes in on Christopher Columbus's discovery of the new world. What? Has Alexander failed me as well as Napoleon? It is almost as though some great organization knows of my plan and declared war against me. But I mustn't get panicky. If the others succeed, I can send them after the gold and radium for my new time machine. Wonder how Genghis Khan is doing in Alaska.
This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The short box showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Identity crisis. Lone wolf and cub. Hergé's Tintin. White tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. I didn't know this was going to be the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. It's always the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. Ultraman, this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo. And this is Ultra- of how they spoke at length. When I read a comic, story comes first and art comes second. Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. Those are our people, Emily. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Superman has basically the same relationship with Wonder Woman that he has with Batman. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. Okay, now some notes and my thoughts here on this Green Arrow story. Uh, drawn by the incomparable George Papp. And with George Papp on Green Arrow and Speedy and uh, whoever is writing this thing, and I'm beginning to think that it is that, uh, that concept of a committee and possibly George Papp is in on this. I just don't know his writing talents. But my gosh, this is this is a fun story, and it's easy to see why Green Arrow and Speedy became a very long-lived uh, feature at DC Comics, uh, stretching right into the early 1960s uh, until his uh, revamping uh, towards the end of the uh, 1960s, and when we get the fungus-faced Oliver Queen Green Arrow and... Uh, I'm not going to rant any further on the uh, Jeff Johns uh, continuity patch that says we only have one Green Arrow and that he's a time traveler because, what the heck, he's a time traveler. Uh, One thing to note is we are definitely into the blonde-haired era of Green Arrow, even though that uh, Roy Thomas had always used the uh, brown or ginger-haired Green Arrow as denoting the uh, the Golden Age. And, of course, uh, Speedy here is red-headed, and uh, <laughs> Roy had also used uh, blonde hair to denote the Earth to Speedy. We get right into the action off the splash in a bo- panel in the... Laboratory of uh, Robotics Inventor Leo Starr. doesn't say Dr. Leo Starr, so this could be why he's down in the Florida Everglades. 
And since Leo doesn't have very long to live in this story, spoilers, uh, well, actually, it's in about three panels. Um, perhaps this is the Earth 2 version of Star Labs. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to try to make more retroactive problems here. In fact, I'm not done yet. He's got a uh, four robots that seem to be standing and saluting him in unison. And Leo's idea is he's going to make robotic soldiers so that uh, flesh and blood soldiers don't have to hit the battlefield. So his heart's in the right place. Uh, three of them are saluting. One has a great big grin on his face. And we're going to get to know that one. His name is Oscar, and he just likes to bully around the other robots. Yes, he's developed his own very data-like personality. And he uh, is trying to work on the concept of humor. So we're going to see Oscar work on humor. And he's not going to be the most loyal robot we were ever going to have. He's going to flip back and forth several times. Um, Leo is done when, uh, Alexander the Great takes one of his catapults. Oh, and by the way, he doesn't seem to have any goons with him whatsoever. None of his home Macedonian armies and no 1940s gangsters either. So everything he's doing is on his own and somehow he's managed to, uh, cobble together an old time catapult and throw a rock at Star's lab. See, it's Star Labs. Of course it is. But it's no more Star Labs. And have we ever seen Star Labs in Earth 2, in the old Earth 2? I don't think so. So it ends right here, folks. Uh, Leo is gone. And, of course, uh, Alexander is going to claim domination over these strange men of metal. And Oscar, of course, decides that that's the new boss, and he's going to use him. Well, the first thing you know, Oscar uh, picks up a brick of uranium, and when Alexander demands it, he drops it right in his foot, mostly because he thinks this is funny. Uh, Oscar isn't, isn't really uh, keen on uh, Alexander's legacy, but he likes him. But he so he decides he's going to help Alexander. Oh, by the way, we found radium, and apparently these robots are made of radium. And Alexander is making the words of these strange men of metal. Does anybody remember back when I discovered that we had an Earth Two metamorpho way back in Leading Comics number one, a Rex Mason that turned to stone? Have I found the beginnings of the Earth 2 metal men? Stay tuned, folks. All will never be revealed. Well, about this time, Green Arrow and Speedy show up, and um, Green Arrow talks about a thing called a corduroy road. Well, if you don't know what a corduroy road is, uh, when you've got things like swampy areas like the Everglades, you can't exactly take this car in. The aeroplane, which we're still calling the aeroplane. It's a car, folks. I don't know when the aeroplane actually becomes the aero car. Uh, you need a road which can support uh, the weight of your vehicles. Uh, so they use logs. 
set down one after the other, and that's why they call it corduroy. It's just like uh, if you ever had a pair of corduroy pants, and uh, when you put your run your finger across them, there's bumps up and there's bumps down. So that assists in uh, in being able to get vehicles into the swamps. Well, um, Alexander has learned how to manipulate the controls because, hey, he's Alexander the Great, right? Don't matter if I'm uh, almost 2,000 years old. I know how to, f I know all about robots. Well, uh, the robots managed to uh, basically shut down the aeroplane. And, uh, but not before Green Arrow decides to crash that right into Leo Star's lab. Well, Leo's lab really isn't uh, getting a lot of historical preservation here for the, uh, the home of Star Labs and the Metal Man, is it? Well, one of the robots gets into the car, and Ale Green Arrow shows Alexander that he also has a catapult. He's got that ejector seat. Now, Speedy is getting a lot to do in here. He's already jumped out of the car, and he's got that bow and arrow in his hand, one with a uh, whip line on it. And uh, next thing you know, he's getting up and uh, done a, doing a bit of a zip line swing and kicking Alexander right in the teeth and lands him on top of an electrical panel. So all of that armor... Um, seeks to zap Alexander and knock him out for a little bit. Uh, Speedy is a little bloodthirsty here. Maybe this is the Earth One, Roy Harper. Uh, but Green Arrow shuts off the breaker, says, no, no, we're not going to let him sizzle. Good for you, Oliver. We don't want history to end here in the swamps. Well, Speedy quickly learns how to hack into this... Uh, this control board and make the robots do what he wants. But uh, the release of radio power brings out Oscar. And Oscar decides to make friends with Oliver. Yes, he switched sides from Alexander to Green Arrow. And uh, Oscar's a, just got a really bad uh, sense of humor. He asks uh, Oliver to Look at something really funny. And he gives him a mirror. Ha ha, real funny. Well, as Speedy is hacking into the other robots and figuring out uh, what to do with them, Alexander has recovered and hits the flack, black of his blade on, on uh, Roy's head. So, so this uh, this is kind of interesting. While Green Arrow is talking to the robots, it's uh, Speedy that's doing most of the mixing it up with Alexander the Great. Well, there's lots of pushy, pushy fight, fight. Lots of swinging around on arrows because, hey, it's Green Arrow. We have to shoot arrows. And of course, he's capped. There are captured, and tied up. But Oscar and Alexander, they're at odds again. Uh, Oscar just wants to make bad jokes, and Alexander wants him to, uh, to obey him. Well, once Alexander realizes Oscar can overpower him, uh, he's got a little different uh, 
tone in his voice. But now he decides to take the robots, including Oscar, and, and order them all to destroy Green Arrow and Speedy while they're tied up. But they have already gotten loose of their bonds, found a fire hose, and found out that there's another way to beat electricity, of course. Well, Speedy, <laughs> remember I said he was bloodthirsty? He's found himself a propane torch, and he's taken it to all of the robots except Oscar. Well, Alexander realizes he's beaten. He's head out into the swamps. First thing he runs into is a snake. But the friendly arrow seems to take out the snake. Careful, folks. There's going to be some uh, unnecessary murder of some reptiles here. It's okay. They're just on paper. Alexander, of course, also runs into an alligator. And as Wally's about to take a chomp out of uh, Alexander's golden boots, another arrow gets him in the back of the head. And out comes a robot to rescue Alexander. He takes him back to the lab, and the robot takes his head off to reveal that he is Green Arrow. Yes, Green Arrow has somehow put this robot suit all over top of himself. This is shades of those times when uh, Batman would always have face masks over top of the ears of his mask. Well, at any rate, Alexander decides to push the escape button, that uh, the same one that all of our time tyrants are going to find, and heads back into his old his own timeline. And Green Arrow and Sp Speedy give Oscar a ride out of the uh, out of the swamps away from Star's lab. So I wonder if we're ever going to see Oscar the radium robot again. Meanwhile, back at Doctor Doom's remote tower. Oh, did I say Doom? Doomy. Sorry, Professor Middleton's going to get me on that one. Doomy realizes through his magic uh, time projector that Alexander has also decided to hit the road and is headed back to, to Macedonia. Leaving Dr. Doomy to realize that, uh, well, I wonder how Genghis Khan is doing. Yep, all in all, very fun episode. And so I'm just going to leave you with that. And pick us up here in a few days when Shining Knight heads north to Alaska to tangle with Genji's Khan. Bye now. Um, <laughs>